Hey, you can be seated. Just one moment here. Um, we're going to do a lot of things this morning. I'm so glad that you braved the cold and the snow to be here. There's important people that are speaking, and I don't mean just me, um, today and sharing with you. And um, I, just, I just love where God has our church right now and all the way through really probably the last couple of weeks of November even and into December and January um, as we uh, pursued a couple special series, uh, the, the Righteous Yet Afraid, and we've come back to the book of Acts now in January. Um, just sense that God is calling us to surrender to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit in our lives um, and maybe doing a great cleansing. Um, really cool things have been happening, like, um, um, like for instance, this week, somebody just met with me and said, look, I, I just want to help the church. Just show me where, show me how. Let's look at my gifts and, and how I can help uh, serve the church. Man, a pastor loves hearing that. Um, a pastor loves having a testimony every Sunday of somebody who's going to come up here even today and say, God called us here and God called us for a specific reason here and we're fulfilling that call because we're so dedicated to the gospel. We, we just, Jesus has to win here and that's going to happen um, here this morning too. But there's also really cool stuff that's going on. Like for instance, um, people are getting help with sin um, with their brokenness and ruts of sin or, or maybe walking in their, in their flesh and sanctifying that and calling that spiritual service when really it isn't, when really it's dangerous and damaging. If we sow the flesh, we reap the flesh of destruction, the Scripture says in Galatians 6.8. But if we sow the Spirit, we reap eternal life. And um, there are really cool things happening with that um, where um, I'm getting to meet with and pray with those people. Um, so what's God doing with you? What's God doing in you? Um, is this an, is, are, are you at maybe an Isaiah 43, 19 moment where do not perceive it even now it springs up and it comes forth. I am doing a new thing. I am making streams in the wilderness, a new way. Um, is there a new way that God has for you? Um, we'd like to encourage you here this morning and give you a report uh, from the Blessing Tree. And another person who has just emerged um, in our congregation is Sandy Blanchard. And uh, if I stand here, I might be as tall as she is, but I'm going to stand with her instead um, uh, down here on the floor. And uh, Sandy was the one who helped coordinate Blessing Tree for, for us this year. And if um, you're unfamiliar with Blessing Tree, what we do is, is we actually go and ask around and we listen and we say, is there a way that we can help a family or families in the church? Um, and sometimes then we hear about families in the community and we did both this year, did we not? All right, well, Sandy, take over and share how God blessed through Blessing Tree. Well, first off, you need to know that I am a background person. So I'm not totally comfortable up here. But when I was um, asked to help with the blessing tree, I saw it as a good fit. However, I had no idea I was going to have a front row seat to see how God was going to work it out. So um, it does say clearly in the Bible that we are commanded to serve, care, and love each other. And that's what the blessing tree is all about. So. Um, we are given information, like Pastor said, and we coordinate that, and then we put it on tags, which then go on the uh, blessing tree. Well, I did the tags, and there were so many. I was like, oh my. And there were um, challenges. There were um, some kind of heading towards expensive. There were some that definitely would have to be um, hunted up. There were some fun things. So it was um, quite, a, quite a mixture. So when those were done, I came in on Saturday and I hung them on the tree. And I'm like, oh my word, there's so many. And I, of course, had prayed over this process. But I looked at that tree and all those tags and I said, Lord, only you can move the hearts of people to take these tags. So I left and then Sunday morning I came in and few were taken. After Sunday school, I checked. A few more were taken. I came Monday morning for Bible study, and there were, they were all gone, all of them. And I was just amazed. And then a couple weeks later, the gifts came in, you know, wrapped large ones, small ones, big gift bags, tiny gift bags. And then we made the delivery, which mm -hmm. was so heartwarming. 
It truly was. And really, we as a church family, and we are a church family because of what Jesus did for us, the gift of salvation that he gave us. We're a church family. But I really saw God working. Well, then last week in um, our daily bread, there was one sentence that said, helping others is a big deal to God. And I was really struck by that because I thought of the families, how they were blessed that received the gifts, and then those who were able to take the tags were blessed. And I really do believe helping others was a big deal to God. And I just want to thank everybody for obedience and faithfulness. Yes, way to go, Sandy. Thank you. And, and let me keep her here. Let me keep her here, Sandy. I want you to hear just one of the notes that um, was sent um, in response to this. You know, the greatest responsibility that we have is life. That's the greatest responsibility. I mean, we sometimes think it's our car or... Um, or our vacations or, or whatever, but really our greatest responsibility is life. And because God has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ and that gospel has become who we are and what we're about, we can handle life better than the rest of the people on the planet. The church of Jesus Christ can take responsibility for life by living out the gospel. And, um, and here's the thing is, is yeah, you know, people say, teach a man, um, give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. Well, here's the truth. is w- When we do things in Jesus' name, we are pointing them to a sufficient and complete Heavenly Father that really wants to be the one that ministers to them in their lives. And so um, let, me, let me just uh, share with you from um, a family uh, that was blessed. Um, they don't regularly come here to this church and are connected with another church, and yet... Um, they fell on a great hardship um, in uh, November, and um, that hardship ca- caused a financial strain for them, and we stepped in for them. And the writer here quotes Matthew 25, 40, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Uh, the words of Jesus. Dear Pastor Clint and the entire First Baptist Church family, I do not have words enough to thank all of you for the ways that you have blessed and loved my family this holiday season. Now hear this, this person is invisible to all of us. You don't know who this is. You gave without judgment, without question, without asking for anything in return. You gave as Jesus would and you gave as Jesus does. Thank you truly in Jesus' name. Wow, wow, do you think that that had an impact on that person's life and and, and that family too? And for the children of that family to go, hey, churches help people. Maybe, maybe I, I, when I grow up, I want to be a part of a church. Maybe there's an a elder or a deacon that's going to be raised up in that family one day because they saw that blessing from the church. Thank you so much, Sandy. All right? And now let me invite Lucas and Megan to come up here. Um, and while they're coming up here, we have a couple of pretty significant prayer things to, uh, to cover here this morning. Um, first of all, Pastor Jeremy and his family and nine members of our worship team are down at Cedarville Um, excuse me, they're returning, and I think they're going to return before the next snowstorm hits. I'm not certain of that, but we need to pray for their safe travel, and we also need to thank God for the work that God did there. There are some very good reports that are coming from that uh, worship assembly and seminar that they went through, and hopefully they're going to be even greater lead worshipers to us um, because they uh, took this Sunday off to go and do that. We need to pray for that, but also we need to pray for the Ansel family. Um, Becky Ansel and her daughter, Catherine, were in a car accident this weekend, and they are okay, but they are bruised up. Um, but, but Becky especially bruised up and sore and struggling through the issues of already having a lot of joint pain um, and suffering and now being bruised basically from shoulders to toes um, is, is difficult for her. And we need to lift them up and just especially take care of them in prayer. Would you do that with me, church? Come on, let's, let's really, all of us, join our hearts even to the remembrance of prayer for them. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jeremy and for his ministry here, how just boldly and yet humbly he brings worship um, uh, to us and then offers it to us to join in as, and, and, and to, to join with the worship that is always biblical and God-centered and engaging. 
We thank you for his teams that he creates for that. We thank you that he shepherds us with the word um, even as we worship. We just bless him, bless his family, their travels back here, all that are involved in that excursion back here to Zealand. Get them here safely and then use them, Father, in our church. Magnify yourself through them. May there be more Holy Spirit-driven, Holy Spirit-led servants of Jesus Christ um, in our church. And Father, now we give you the answers as well, and we pray um, that you would be kind to Chris. Give him a lot of energy as, as he plays nurse to both wife and daughter right now. Um, encourage them through this body of believers. Uh, when he agreed to this prayer, Father, I told him it probably meant more phone calls, and he said we would welcome it. So, so Father, let this body through, again, through the prompting of your spirit um, to minister well to Chris and to his family now. Heal them completely. And, Father, for whatever reason this happened, would you bring good from it and testimony, testimony to your goodness um, opportunity maybe even for reunion of relationships. Um, Father, we bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks so much. Megan and Lucas, come on up here. All right? Yeah, you, ca- yeah. you get to stand up here with me. All right? Um, and so um, I ran into Lucas this morning. And um, the reason why I ran into Lucas this morning is I come early, just like Pastor Tom does, and get ready and all this stuff. And here was Lucas in the dark at uh, a few minutes before 8 o'clock this morning, sitting out there. And uh, he and I talked some. And um, I had uh, spoken with Lucas several weeks ago and invited him to come and to uh, share a brief testimony with us and for Megan to read the scripture. And they're an awesome family. Uh, You guys have been uh, coming to First Baptist Church for... Uh, I would say almost a year, maybe, um, almost a year, and have connected themselves in the student ministry. You're both products of the student ministry here as well, and you have family here. You've got your parents, and Megan, you have the Crockers, your parents here as well. And so um, I, I really believe that God has been wanting to bring testimony through our people uh, each week, and so it's one of the purposes that I had for this, but I sense that God has more than that as a purpose here this morning. And so I've really kind of just told Lucas that he has freedom and he has liberty to share and even share his heart's burden um, as um, we talked about how, um, help me out here, but we talked about how uh, the, the word, the study in the book of Acts has really been impacting the both of you and uh, how you see a glorious church that is uh, under the lordship of Jesus through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and how the church is able to um, create more and more disciples and followers and, and all of that and how that's really impacted your heart. And then it, and maybe that's created some holy burden and some holy desire in you. And so um, I'm going to get out of the way and I'm going to let um, God, through his servant Lucas, um, share with you here this morning. I'm praying for you. Thanks. So as Pastor Clint said, um, Megan and I both grew up in this church and then we ended up, we got, we went to college, and then we got married, and we ended up going to a church in Grand Rapids, and we loved that church, and we grew spiritually in that church, um, but then we graduated college, and we moved back to Holland, and we got plugged into a church in Holland, and right away, we got plugged into a small group there, and we loved that group. That group of people loved on us more than we ever could have thought they did, and it was like having a second family. Um, And we still felt when we were there that we were being called to more. And it kind of started to fall into place. Our group kind of fell apart because people moved on and um, moved to different places. And um, so then um, we kind of started feeling a call to come back to first. And and then it fell into place when um, Pastor Cameron said that um, he needed someone to help lead the sixth grade guys. And now I've been doing that since September. And that's just been an awesome experience. We have an awesome group of sixth grade guys, and they're a ton of fun to hang out with if you ever get the chance. And they're Riley, but they're fun. Um, we also then, when we came back, we got plugged into a uh, community group, and that has just been an incredible experience. And it's just like it was with our group at the other church, where we're just loving on each other, and um, we're drawn close to each other. and. That's part of what Pastor Clint was talking about, that that's just kind of what's been laid on our hearts, that um, a church isn't 
brick and mortar, it's people, and that we're each group or each person is what makes up the church, and that in the end, the salvation of Jesus Christ and him dying and being resurrected on the cross, and then everybody in this room and all the people are what matter, and nothing else matters but him and us, that it's just the people, and when we love on each other, and people see us loving on each other, that that just changes everything. And even though there's divisions, that there's Baptists and Reforms and all the other kinds of churches, when people outside of the Christian faith see us coming together and just loving on people as one body of Christ, that, that changes everybody's perspective on what Christianity really is and what it means to follow Christ. And um, that's really what we've seen over the past years of being a part of a small group and now our community group. And if you're not a part of a community group, I really encourage you to do it because it is just an awesome experience and we love it and we love them and they love us and we are just so thrilled to be a part of a group and anybody in the blue lanyards can help you get plugged in. Thanks um, for sharing that. I have a couple questions for you, if it's okay. Maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, um, so Lucas and Megan are saying to you that they want deep community, and they're glad that they have deep and uh, they have deep relationships. So, if Lucas were to fall off a ladder tomorrow, and uh, God forbid, um, and fall, especially if he's working on my roof. Um, and get taken to the hospital or something like that, he would have people, even before your pastor, that would care and would want to be there. I mean, it's one of the amazing things that I hear is that um, sometimes, instead of calling the pastor, the members of the small group have been notified, and they're reaching out, and they're um, addressing a need. And Lucas also and Megan, they, have, they see the vision of how a small group can take on ministry as an organism itself, and uh, you talked about ministry to widows, which was uh, this morning, and, and um, that's, what, that's what's at issue in the scripture here this morning where we're going to go, and we're going to see that. And so, you know, Lucas, um, I heard you encourage the church about um, joining a community group, but what would you say is your burden right now? I sense a, a God-sized burden in your heart, and maybe you can represent Megan, or Megan can represent herself, but it se seems to me that... You know, a guy who shows up and prays through all of his words for an hour before he gets up to speak, there's a God-sized burden there. Um, all right. <laughs> um, I guess it's just the, the thought process of, like, I don't know, as I've grown up and stuff, like, I feel like I've always had conversations with people about being, like, frustrated about, like, the bad things of this world and like or the church does this but doesn't do that or um like we continue to just like be frustrated with each other and um there just seems like there's so much division like among us that then like then it stops like we talk to each other and we say this and that about the other thing and then we don't end up going forward from that point on so it's i guess that's like what I've been feeling more and more that like we need to go around that brick wall that's been like blocking us from just loving on people as Christ would have done in the first place and to not worry so much about all of the doctrine I guess and ideologies that like it's at its core Christ is simple mm -hmm. that he loves us and we love him, then that's all there really is, and then we love on other people because of that love in him. Okay, so I hear you saying that even though the church is supposed to be a train that's really supposed to be empowered, that church is supposed to be the number one proponent and proclaimer of the gospel, sometimes we're in the way of the gospel. Yeah, and sometimes we get in the way of the gospel with our attitudes and and our preferences and, and things like that. I mean, true doctrine is important, but when we begin to kind of sanctify or canonize our preferences, we really can get in the way of the gospel. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. yeah. And so I'm also hearing you say kind of what we heard a young man say here two weeks ago is, you're just, you're just all in. Yeah. Is that, is that a hard thing to say in front of a bunch of people? Hey, I'm all <laughs> in for Jesus. I, I'm, I, 
you and your wife here are saying, we, we, we have consecrated our lives to Christ and we're going to live for him? Yeah. No, it's not hard. It's not? <laughs> okay. And so this church could also go up to you and say, I was encouraged by you and uh, thankful for your testimony today after church and pat you on the back. And then, and then if someone says, hey, I want the, the godly burden and the, the, the God-sized burden that you have in your heart, pray for me. Um, you would do that, right? You would join your heart with them? I would pray for them. All right, awesome. Look, have I made you uncomfortable enough yet, or should I, <laughs> should I ask more? No, the more you brother, do it, the better I get. <laughs> brother, listen, God is raising up people in First Baptist Church. God is raising up people, and here's how he's doing it. He's doing it through the power of the gospel that brings the Holy Spirit, that acquaints us clearly with the Word of God and then reshapes us and conforms us to that Word so that we are truly gospel-centered people. We want what God wants. We want to do what God wants to do, and we want to do it together. Is that a good way of saying it? And these guys are a wonderful example of that. Praise God for you. We're grateful to have you in our church. And now we're going to have to transition to the reading of the word. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 this morning, verses 1 through 7. And all of you snow fighters and cold fighters that made it um, through today to be at church, please stand in reverence and with awe and wonder to the word. With the help of the Holy Spirit, let's hear the word of God read aloud this morning. Thank you, Megan. Mm -hmm. Okay, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And this is God's word, church. Amen. Amen. Let's sit down and let's begin with holy hunger to take in the Word of God. Thank you, Lucas and Megan. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Jeremy Cobb, for training up your teams uh, for worship. So the key verse here this morning is going to be that finishing verse, verse 7, and the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, verse 7. In other words, there's a conclusion uh, concluding after the resolution, there is a product. There's something produced by the way the church resolved this problem and this potential conflict. And what happened was exactly what the gospel wants. The word of God continues to increase. More people come to the Lord. And even now, it's breaking into the hierarchy of the priestly order in Jerusalem. All right? And so our key thoughts here this morning... If you take something home with you on paper, it's right there for you. There is nothing like the church when it is working right. There's nothing like the church when it's working right. When people under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, they get what God wants. They know that God wants to use them, and they're pleased to be used by God. Then the word of God continues to increase, dot, dot, dot. In other words, when, here, here's the solution to a lot of the problems in the church, all right? We look to the Word of God in prayer and ask God, what do you want? Through the help of the Holy Spirit, we conform our hearts to what God wants, and we want what God wants. And then united together, we choose to do what God wants, and the gospel of Jesus Christ wins in the church. That's a great way to solve problems in the church. In a day where the church is trying to accommodate everyone else, everyone's preferences. You like worship this way, you like it that way. You like it with, with, uh, with bells, and, and you like it with drums. And you like um, to sit in chairs rather than pews. And you like to, to huddle up here instead of over there. When, where the church is trying to accommodate and accommodate and accommodate. Here is what, here's what the church ought to be obsessed with. What God wants. 
what God wants. After we get past what God wants and we agree together with what God wants, we can do that in a pew. We can do that with a casserole. We can do that with a van ministry. We can do that in a small groups ministry. We can do that in a Sunday school ministry. We can do that in a Wednesday night uh, uh, ministry called Big Life. We can uh, do that any way that God wants us to do it, as long as we're already agreed together with what God wants. And so there's a threatening setback, though, that you see right there in verse 1. It's unmet needs. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. (coughs) And the word there for arose, it's in the past aorist tense. It It means... Um, it's very passive. No no individual brought the complaint. It just kind of rose up among the group. There was, as John MacArthur and Ray Steadman says, there was murmuring going on. It rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You see, it was Jewish tradition to take care of widows. And many older people not indigenous to Israel or to Jerusalem. They would travel to Jerusalem in their old age. When they thought they were about to die, they would ask, because of their devotion to God and wanting to be near God's holy temple, they would ask to be taken to die there in Jerusalem. And you know what that meant? A lot of widows in Jerusalem all the time. That's what it meant. All right, There were a lot of people to be taken care of. Maybe they didn't even have family connections anymore to Jerusalem when they made that pilgrimage. And listen to the New Testament that, that speaks to our responsibility with widows. James chapter 1 and verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. Before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Purity of self, but then also compassion and care for the helpless, the orphan and the widow. Isaiah calls us to it in Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 8. Is it not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. When God has people that care deeply about people, about the hurting, the afflicted, the oppressed, the helpless, and they go and do that, their light shines. And when there are gospel-centered people that are willing to take care of the responsibility that the gospel calls the church of Jesus Christ to, then their light shines like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. There's nothing like the church when it's working right. And in this case, our need, our real unmet need, is the distribution of food to some of the Hellenistic widows. Now, there was a difference between the Hellenists and the indigenous um, Israeli Jews. The Hellenists were a part of the, the old Greek empire, all uh, scattered across in the diaspora um, that had occurred after the first destruction of the temple. Jews were everywhere, all around the Roman Empire, and they were called Hellenist Jews because they, they had been uh, 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 coached in the Greek culture that had taken over in the 4th and in the 3rd centuries B.C. and continued until that day and adopted largely by the Romans. It was a very humanistic culture, whereas the indigenous Israelis that were strictly, very, very strict with their culture and their obedience to the law, there was a potential, there was a chance for there to be some prejudice there. There was a chance for there to be some racism there. Oh, these Hellenistic Jews, they aren't as observant to the law as we are because they believe a little too much in themselves and are not, are not as dependent upon God. There's a chance that if this unmet need continues, someone will say, say or cry racism, prejudice in the church. Why would anyone who's for the gospel of Jesus Christ want the church to shut down. 
Why would people raise objections and insinuations and murmur and gripe and yet not wholly offer themselves to create gospel solutions? Could it be that in our consumer-driven worlds that we live in, that we're all ready to impugn our Christian leaders when something is wrong, while at the same time we're not prepared to follow a gospel process to help make things right? Did you hear that? I know that's, a, I know that that's an indictment on us. But has our consumerism characterized the way that we bring up issues in the church? Because... It was murmuring. It arose among them. You know, the murmurer, he's the one that makes sure that a complaint gets heard, but it can't be traced back to him as the origin. The murmurer is the one who has the power to magnify what is wrong without having to do anything to make it right. The murmurer plays the safe game of subtlety, saying, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem but it's not my problem, right? But when a gospel-centered people are called together, as they are in verse 2, to agree together on what God wants, then everybody owns the problem, and everybody becomes a part of the solution. Look at the solution. It was right there in the church, verses 2 through 6. All right? It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Don't hear that. Don't hear them diminishing that. They're saying that that act of service isn't uh, what we should be doing. We should be upholding and guarding this important responsibility of the ministry of the word of God and prayer. And so the Acts 6 church began resolving their issue by doing this. They reaffirmed the primary mission of the church, to make Christ known. And then they associated with making Christ known the great responsibility of making him known to itself. The church growing as disciples in the ministry of the word and through prayer. Leaders of the church are here to win people to the gospel's mission by teaching and preaching the word of God, by bringing to a gospel-centered people the continued convincing that this is what our lives are and should be about. So we have the word of God presented to us to be more convinced of that word of God in our gospel mission. But we also have prayer that invites the power of God and the Holy Spirit's convicting of our hearts so that a convinced people would be convicted to do what God wants, to do, wants them to do and therefore conform their lives to it. So the ministry of the Word of God and prayer is the primary mission of the church, but we've got to invite the Holy Spirit's power and conviction down upon that. And can you imagine a church trying to meet all of its needs without the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit in prayer? Can you imagine that? Oh man, it would really, the needs that would get, get met would be the would come from the people that cried out the loudest, right? That made the most noise and made the most threats until they got what they wanted. Without the ministry of the word of God in prayer, I've been reading a book about a, um, um, a, a mission, a, a military mission into Afghanistan. And this one individual in this mission who ends up being separated from his, his mission party and group, he's got a radio and he has a flyover presence when he starts his mission. All right? So he has direct communication back to his comp, to his controller. And so he has the confidence of direct communication, and, and, and they're issuing to him his, his mission objectives. They're telling him now, go and do this, and, and crest this hill, and then uh, 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 go these uh, three miles until you reach this place. And then they're helping him, and he's hearing his marching orders for his mission. And then every once in a while, an Apache helicopter or an Air Force plane will fly over, and that will also reassure him of the powerful presence of that whole military that is backing him in his mission. And then he gets fired upon and he gets separated from his radio and he, he can't hear the orders anymore. And then because he's out there and he's all alone and he's unprotected, the military leaders say, we can't 
put an Apache near him or an Air Force plane near him because that will only help the enemy to identify his position and will cause harm to him. And he's cut off from both. Can you imagine a church cut off from the ministry of the word and prayer? Calling upon God's power through prayer to convict us fully convinced through the power of the word so that we could be conformed to what God wants in the church. The ministry of the word is a ministry of prayer because the word of God is God's speech. It's God's very word to us. And prayer invites the Holy Spirit to give us that supernatural ability to hear directly from God through his word. We are a people enabled by God's Holy Spirit prayer-empowered also, that are able to hear God speak to us. People who pray in the church are people who want God to speak to its people. People who pray in the church are people that want God's speech to conduct the affairs of the church. Ian Bound says it this way, what the church needs today is not more machinery or novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, mighty men of prayer. The first thing they did was they acknowledged their primary mission. The second thing, they acknowledged a legitimate need that affected the health of the church. It was to care for widows. Were the church to default on this matter? How could the church express God's love, compelling each other to love profoundly if it was not first modeled in the church? You see, solutions in the church, they are a we thing. As soon as I check out from the gospel's mission, I also check out from my partnership with the church of Jesus Christ. And so they acknowledged that this was a real need. They said, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Do you hear that? That's what they're gonna, they, they, they see it as a real need, and they look to the church to meet that need. And thirdly, they did this. They communicated honestly and openly acknowledging the neglect and the fault. They said that this, this, this was something that was important that had to be valued among the fellowship of people. And so what they did was they, it says back in verse 1, they called the people together um, and, and they communicated well to them. All right? It is believed that at this point in the progression of the early church there in Jerusalem, where just at the tip of heading now uh, from Jerusalem to greater Judea and Samaria, where there's another concentric circle where the church is going to go in gospel now. We're right on the edge of that, right here. And it's believed that there were, there were 20,000 believers in Jerusalem at this point. How's that for a church meeting? Huh? Getting 20,000 believers together, you know? And the way they do it at the Southern Baptist Convention, when all the representatives, all the churches and convention get together for um, a year for the convention, anybody can have two minutes. Can you imagine that? So how are you going to communicate to 20,000 people? We're going to keep the primacy of the Word of God in prayer there. So that the people that are coming together, they are pre-communicated with by God. They have Jesus' walking papers and mission. They know that they are gospel-centered people. And so when their leaders step out and they say, we've made a mistake, we've neglected some people here, this need needs to be addressed, they're like, hey, we're all about it. Instead of continuing to go, huh, do you see how our leaders treat us? And continuing to complain or to create dissension, instead, because God has been continually communicating with them, they're prepared to receive communication that says, help, help us, let's all come together. 20,000 people somehow were well communicated with that day, and I believe it's because they had the same mission. They were called together before they were communicated with. And so they communicated honestly and openly, acknowledging their neglect and their fault. Ask yourself a tough question. Do I really commit myself to the communications of my church? Ask yourself a tough question. It's a tough question. Do I really commit myself to the communications of my church? 
When your church leaders stand up here, when, um, oh, by the way, I think Pastor Cameron said we're having pie next Sunday. I think it's the Sunday after that. Um, so sometimes we have a lot to communicate, but it's, it's the 10th, isn't it? I'm pretty sure that it says that in your bulletin. Okay? But when our church leaders communicate up here, they don't read from Winnie the Pooh. They don't give you uh, sports figures or things that, that you constantly get scrolling across your phone. What your church leaders do is they pray that they would say what God wants to say, and then they communicate that. So it's important. It's very important because you are partners. If you were just consumers, you could pick and choose off the menu what you want. But we're not consumers. We're partners in the gospel. And therefore, we should be partnered in the communication process. The third thing that they did was they delegated in a trustworthy, God-pleasing manner. They sought input from the brothers. They said, choose from among you. And so the choosing was not appointing by the leaders, but actually the word choose there, it's a Greek word that means to inspect. It means to, to go and really analyze and search. And what do they search for? They search for men that were full of the Spirit and wisdom from among them that had been seen by the rest of the community as worthy to be in, uh, assigned to this task, which really is a spiritual task. And so they delegated in a trustworthy, God-pleasing manner. Right? And, and so, so what, what is that calling us to and understanding what the solution was here is this. is people that are full of the Spirit are people that have really been behaving like disciples of Jesus Christ. People who are full of the Spirit have been receiving that ministry of the Word and have been conducting themselves in prayer. And they've been letting Jesus change them and conform them completely to His will so that there are people that are ready for that work to happen in the church, that God could raise them up. So the next question for us is, is, am I that ready person? In other words, have you committed yourself to discipleship such that Jesus could take over what's going on in your entire lifestyle and then reorient your life to his service and such that you could be the partner with the church of Jesus Christ that God wants you to be and you could find great fulfillment in that gospel mission of partnership with the church. They delegated in a trustworthy, God-pleasing manner. They found people that were ready to be the gospel in this respect. And that is the call of the gospel, isn't it? For Christ's love compels us to no longer look at anyone from a worldly point of view, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians to instead to see the one who has reconciled us as a reconciler of people, to bring people to himself. Finally this, they expanded their mission by commissioning the ready. It says in verse 6 that they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So who is ready now but not yet operative? Who here would pray a dangerous prayer in response to the ministry of the Word of God and say, God, here I am, use me? Who here would say, yes, I will take the responsibility for lives and I will do something about it? Do you know the opportunities that we have in this church? First of all, all service is spiritual service. All service in the church of Jesus Christ is spiritual service. So thank you, greeters, this morning. Thank you, Joey, for going and moving all that snow. It was a lot to move this morning off of our sidewalks. Thank you, Jeremy, for training up the worship teams that you're training up to, to lead us in worship here. Thank you, elders and deacons, for your service. Thank you, women's ministry coordinators that are sending ladies out to go on visitation to some of the widows and the homebound uh, worshipers that we have in our community. Thank you, ladies, who put together all that funeral food for, for funeral receptions in our kitchen when we don't even know when the next funeral is coming. Thank you, dishwashers on Wednesday night that are washing the dishes because I can't wash the dishes. I'm down there with second and third graders with big life on Wednesday nights and raising them up in the word of God and teaching them all of Exodus chapter 20 to be memorized. 
Thank you, everyone who has any service in the church whatsoever. It is a spiritual service only when we recognize that we are all partnered together in the gospel mission of the church of Jesus Christ. It's all valid. It's all important. It's all significant. And I affirm you in the name of Jesus. And I thank you in the name of Jesus. And now I call you in the name of Jesus. Who's ready but not yet operative? You say, well, no one's asked me. Is God's ask enough? No one's asked you. Do you know how blessed your ministry leaders in this church would be if you walked up and said, hey, look, I've been dealing with God and God's been speaking to me and I think he's calling me to a new work. I want to partner with you. How can my gifts, my ministry gifts, help you? So they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, and they said, all right, who's ready right now? These guys are. And so they wanted the entire community to recognize the spiritual authority that had been delegated. And so all service in the church is a vehicle of the gospel's expansion, greeters, kitchen ladies, whomever it is. So see your part in keeping the gospel the main thing in the church. Today, we want the gospel to spread through all kinds of things, through film, through anointed speakers, through websites, through other mediums that we can cheer on but sideline us. The real way that God wants the gospel to impact this world is in and through the church of Jesus Christ. Hear that. Do you have an exception that you take with the church? Come to a spiritual leader. Let's address that unmet need. Let's address that wrong. Let's get it reconciled. Let's delegate it responsibly in the church of Jesus Christ. Because when the gospel is being gloriously expressed in the church, the people of the church are compelled. They're conformed. They're convinced that we are all the mission. And finally this, they saw their service as a spiritual work. The greatest conflict in the church is not uh, that we didn't have people to fill up the communion cups and communion plates, or we didn't have somebody to vacuum after Wednesday night dinner. The biggest need in the church is the creation of disciples. That's the biggest need, because if you would become a disciple, you would become ready. You would become ready to meet any one of those needs, and God would proportion out his grace through you, through your ministry gifts, to meet some of those needs. And what happens? What happens, though? There's a surge of the gospel. Look at verse 7. It says there that the word of God continued to increase. More numbers were added, and even priests now were coming to that. John MacArthur says this, The glory of the church was that they were conscious of the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. What we've been seeing for six chapters is that the Holy Spirit has been conquering every problem that the church faces, whether it be its persecution whether it be its purity or whether it be its problems and protests within the church. The Holy Spirit has been handling that. Would you come under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit and be a part of the solution? And why priests? Well, here's the speculation. They saw an administration of grace and a picture of Jesus Christ that was more glorious through church partnership than any of the administration of the sacraments and sacrifices that they were doing. God is now breaking through the highest ranks of traditional Judaism that was opposed to this gospel right there in the city. And some of those priests are coming to know Jesus. What are some lessons for us? And Brian, if you could bring your team up here. Um, and what we're going to do is, is we're just going to conclude with a, with, a, with a worship song. And we're going to come under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. We're just going to say, you know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome to lead me and guide me and to sanctify the truths um, that have come to me here in this hour. Um, uh, you're welcome to inspire praise in me and worship in me, whatever it is, but allow God to work. First of all, this, the church is able to quickly identify and appoint trustworthy leaders when it is submitted to God's spirit and responsive to God's word. The church prevails when it's gospel-centered and gospel-responsive. Second of all, and, oh, come on, church, attack this with me with spiritual zeal 
and with grace. Consumer Christianity expects a product from its leaders. Consumer Christianity expects a product from its leaders, leaders rather than a partnership with them. Don't let, let's not let that be us. Let's be partners with the leadership of the church. Consumer Christianity says, what am I getting out of this instead of what is the gospel getting out of me? How do we battle consumer Christianity? Did you know that there were over 200 types in the first century alone? There were over 200 different types of synagogues all around Israel, not because they needed to rise up to create more worshipers, but because there were varying political and theological views of all the parties of Judaism. In other words, they were trying to accommodate, accommodate, accommodate. What should we accommodate? Let's accommodate the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Let's accommodate God's voice to us and appropriate that through the power of God's Spirit. Let's battle consumer Christianity with discipleship. Would you commit yourself to the Word of God in prayer right here and right now? Because all service is voluntary. Do you know I've never made anybody do anything in this church? Right? I didn't promise Lucas a free lunch, although I'll take him to lunch if he wants. I didn't make anybody do anything. All service in the church of Jesus Christ is voluntary, and you go, whoa, how does anything get done here? If we could just crack a few whips, maybe we get more accomplished. Here's how it gets done. The Holy Spirit conforms you and me to what God wants, and then you and I, we want what God wants, and then we go and do what God wants done, and we celebrate Jesus together, and the gospel increases all around us. Am I a ready volunteer? Could I be appointed to God's work? Because when I commit myself to the gospel, I'm committing myself to the church. Let me pray. And we'll keep listening to God throughout this day and even in these moments as they lead us in worship. Father in heaven, oh God, thanks for this beautiful picture of how the church solved an inward problem. And Father, you do want the church inward in this sense. You want us to grow in Jesus. You want us to come together and gather around the word and prayer and become disciples. And so that an inner work in us would create an outer impact with our lives. And so Father, we gladly, gladly volunteer ourselves in view of the mercies of Jesus, in view of the power of your word, in view of our agreement with what your word says to us, we can form ourselves to it, fully convinced by scripture and compelled by your spirit. And we say, we're yours. And you're welcome to give us marching orders and papers. God, forgive us for the things that we've neglected. Forgive us individually for sometimes failing to partner with the gospel in the church. Forgive me, God, for resentment and bitterness and frustration with the church of Jesus Christ. And call us again to that holy, holy ground of the gospel, to a holy vision that's so huge that preferences go away and consumer Christianity falls away we become partners again.